You could dance your cares away if you want to. You could fraggle your friends behind. Not my best week this week. <laughs> In honor of the box trolls, what animated or puppet society would you most like to join? I'm Matt Patches, and I should probably go with Silent Running now that I think about it, but I'm really going to go with Mystery Science Theater 3000 and Crow and Tom Servo and Gypsy and watching terrible movies. That's my dream. I'm Joanna Robinson. I'm going to go with the Gelflings from the Dark Crystal because the girls have wings. I'm Dave Gonzalez and the Muppet Show. Like a performer that's trying to come up with acts every week, that'd be fun. And I'm David Ehrlich, and I'm going to go with Cowboy Bebop, the animated series that was also a movie, which its greatest strength has always been the world that it created for its characters and uh, is an easy decision. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine and, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello, and welcome to Fighting in the War Room number 41 for Tuesday, September 23rd, 2014. This is your reminder to go to iTunes and leave us a review like this one, David. Well, uh, we have one review this week. It's short and sweet and to the point. A veritable Thunderdome, says John Liner. Songs of Innocence, Fighting in the War Room. <laughs> Oh, you got. We should start putting new episodes directly into people's iTunes. We should. We're going know. to. We're, we're working out something with Apple right now uh, <laughs> where we're just going to violate your, your rights and force feed you fighting in the war room. If you have something you would like to say about the show, we would certainly love to hear from you. So please go on iTunes and leave us a review and we will read it on the air at the start of the next episode. take some time out and talk about the new Doctor Who because we're just past five episodes to a 12 episode season with our new Doctor Peter Capaldi. For those of you that don't know Doctor Who is a British science fiction series that's been going since forever and every once in a while the lead character changes actors uh, but he usually travels with a companion in this case a character named Clara Oswald who went through some serious mythology stuff with the previous doctor played by matt smith and uh now i guess is sort of redefining her character and the doctor see the problem is that the showrunner is stephen moffat who uh does stuff like uh sherlock and similarly comes under fire there for his portrayal of women characters occasionally and uh, i'm not sure how much of a problem I have with the character of Clara overall from an arch storytelling device but I figured if now was the time to talk about Doctor Who I might as well have someone who could talk to me and uh, that's not going to be Matt I don't think or David so I'm guessing Joanna <laughs> you have thoughts on the current airing season of Doctor Who I boy do I um, yeah I do have a problem with the way that Stephen Moffat treats uh, women on Doctor Who. I haven't historically had that problem with him. I mean, I guess some people 
there's no point to the women on Sherlock because that's just a love story between two dudes. And I, you know, his first big series was a show called Coupling and I had no problem with the women on that. So I don't know. It's something to do with this universe. He chooses to make the women because the women are often the companions. The doctor is male. He makes the women like problems to solve or devices or mysteries or, you know, they're just not fully formed people. We don't like Amy Pond. Uh, we don't like Amy Pond. She oh. became literally a uterus in a box oh, at geez. one point. Uh, so that's, I they, should not they have given up. I should not have stopped until, watching. Until she popped out a baby. So, Oh, my um, God. What? Spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Blowing um, my mind here. Blowing my mind. So, you know, and so they, they get these cute nicknames. Amy Pond's the girl who waited. Clara is the impossible girl. Um, you know, and it's just sort of this cutesy uh, fetishism of of women that that i don't really like and i liked some of the smith stuff um and i really liked Stephen moffat as a writer for doctor who before he became a showrunner he did some great episodes before he took over but uh this particular combination right now with peter capaldi and Stephen moffat is uh, toxic to me i hate it i really dislike it so just because, because moffat it clara is it because Moffat's writing a show that is from the 1960s and, and he's trying to be faithful to that? Is that the problem? Mm. I don't know. And I mean, it's not like he's writing every, you know, they, they they have writers that are very distinctly attached to each episode, um, more so than I think other shows with writer's rooms. Um, it's not just because of the way he's treating Claire. I, I The plots aren't hanging together for me. Capaldi's Doctor's not working for me. And I say that as a fan of Peter Capaldi. So I don't know. It's just nothing. Nothing has worked for me this season, and and I feel so terrible having such a caustic view of it. But I just I'm like hate watching at this point. So I used to love I used to love Doctor Who. So it's a bummer. I mean, I never. Uh, I liked the sort of Matt Smith Amy Pond pairing because it seemed like they were breaking a lot of rules and not really caring about it. It's sort of like the Clara stuff that I definitely uh, was brought into sharp relief to me. Like the weight of being the impossible girl meant that you could not have like a consistent character arc or be anything outside of this mystery. And by making her a mystery, she became like this void that sort of sucked the life out of certain parts of the season she started in. And I don't, I don't know if the Peter Capaldi one is grating on me as much. It seems like, if anything, he's the consequences of Doctor Who sort of being like a regeneration or two beyond where we thought he could be. And sort of like, uh, it took them... It's a, it's, a eight, it's a show in its eighth season, so it's going to be showing some wear and tear regardless of what type of show it is and how enduring it's been because it took us seven seasons to deal with the doctor's genocide of two races. Now we're finally over that and we're dealing with like a, I don't know, possibly evil doctor, not evil, but capable of killing. It's like he's the Superman that could snap Sod's neck and they're going to try to figure out where that goes with this, I don't know, weird promised land plot that I'm not getting into. So now that we're in dark and gritty doctor who phase, is that, uh, is that what's happening here? They could do comedy, but instead of um, a lot of the whimsy of the Matt Smith years and the David Tennant roseness, roseless years um, episodes, uh, it would—they're uh, capable of 
going a little bit more serious and dealing like what the consequence of the doctor's fear is, I think for me a little bit more, but it's not, it's not grating on me. certainly like the show sounds completely impenetrable. (laughs) Well, I mean, Uh, there's there's basically no rules to it. Currently. I think it is. I don't think there's any entrance into this season, which is so funny because I mean, I watched doctor who episodes like old Tom Baker episodes on where would I have watched them when I was younger? PBS. Oh, PBS. PBS. Yeah, PBS. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so I could watch. You could watch any of those and enjoy it. I had no idea what was going on, but it was goofy guys in alien suits versus Tom Baker's big scarf running around doing hijinks and saving the day. Uh, and then I, I, you know, Christopher Eccleston's seasons back in 2005, and then David Tennant took over after. Eccleston left. That's when I started catching up with the Eccleston stuff after David Tennant became this kind of Tumblr worthy heartthrob. And um, Eccleston, I could just jump. I mean, it was the reboot of the, the series, obviously. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, so that was really easy to jump in. But then I picked up with Tennant episodes, and that still felt kind of aloof and fun. And it's a story of the week. But what, what you're describing here sounds so mythology heavy I, I would never want to attempt to jump back into capaldi doctor yeah and that's uh, something that moffat has done david Tennant had it in a light way there would be like the bad wolf stuff or whatever like it, or right. that was eccleston but like that's some light mythology but yeah the moffat goes for really hard it sounds re- mythology here it sounds and, reactionary uh, to american television more than perhaps what doctor who used to be even 10 years ago well, I mean, I wouldn't say that, I mean, it's entirely serialized. It's just there's no mid-ground. You could come to it as a series that every week is going to, like, show you something, like, standalone and sort of have a grasp on it. But in order to play along with it to its fullest extent, you're supposed to have a knowledge of where you are in the and- overarching story and that's what's sort of shortchanging Clara is she needs to be something different for certain episodes and other episodes she kind of just needs to be the person that receives the exposition and when those two well- things get isolated into certain episodes it makes her character really inconsistent or- and she's basically right now kind of in like a Richard Curtis rom-com sort of situation like especially next week I think is supposed to be some sort of slapstick sliding doors in time like comedy of errors of Clara trying to date this guy. And what bothers me is what they've done with Clara and the doctor is they promise that the Clara, Clara and the doctor wouldn't be flirting, which has been a problem with the doctor and the companions and all this flirting and people have been sort of like, we we're kind of done with that. So what they've done instead is make Peter Capaldi a, a, a like a robot who doesn't understand female. Be- He's like, why is your face all colored in? And like, why are you wearing those heels? Like he doesn't understand women. And it's just like, it's like you can be friends with a woman and still understand that she is like a beautiful human being. And, and it's like the way they swung in the opposite direction is really bothersome to me. And but it's not just the gender stuff, because in the Moffat era, the one offs, the fun, wacky one offs that you shouldn't have to consider, like concern yourself with mythology should be great. But then you get stuff like uh, dinosaurs on a spaceship, which is as bad as it sounds, or Robin Hood, except there are robots, which is as bad as it sounds. I mean, Robin Hood, the Robin Hood episode should have been great. And it was not. So I don't know. I Sounds like I'm and just too Dave, old for this shit or what? Dave, you would have to tell me if this is true, but the, all all of these episodes that you're describing sound like bad Star Trek: The Next Generation holodeck episodes. Um, uh, yeah, I mean the Robin Hood one definitely, and uh, not just because it's the same 
uh, you know, sort of thing. It has a similar, I guess, tone to it. That sort of thing where nobody's ever really in danger, but they all sort of act like they're supposed to be. Um, but yeah, I don't know. See, for me, I get drawn to the opposite thing is like a sci-fi nerd. What's it? I sort of like, like episodes, like listen that fold back on itself and end up saying something about like the characters through time travel. It just hasn't been working for me with this companion. And I guess I could see how that's a fault of the storytelling mechanic. I just, I guess I'm not all... It doesn't concern me. It won't concern me unless they end up killing her like they might at the end of the season. That would be disconcerting to me. Does that mean it's time to euthanize the show again? I mean, it happened before, and it took a very long hiatus. It took a 10-year hiatus. I think it's time for a new showrunner, actually. I'd be and there's that. been there have been rumors of that, that, that Moffat, the Moffat era is over. And the Moffat era was very popular with a lot of people. I mean, and I, I think Matt Smith is charming. Karen Gillan is is a lovely human being, uh, and <laughs> not quite charming, <laughs> but still we can appreciate. I don't her. like the character, but I like her, uh, and I liked her performance just fine. I just had problems with the character, but you know, like you want to talk about David Tennant being a Tumblr darling, like the, the Amy Pond, you know, Matt Smith Doctor era was Tumblr crack, and so that it, you know, that it, that change the show it became something different than it was before which is fine i'm not saying that in a possessive sci-fi nerd way i'm just saying it became something else and maybe that's not the show that i want to watch did it pass the event horizon can can a show that goes on and on and on and attempts to keep evolving go so far in one direction perhaps with the matt smith uh karen gillian is that his name uh era that like it can't come back from that it, like it can't swing all the way to Peter Capaldi. It has to be something youth skewing or uh, frivolous. I, or I, I don't know how you would describe the well, Matt I mean, Smith era. but the, the point of having the Doctor regenerate is supposed to give you the freedom. I mean, it's not how it came about, but it But it feels like a mythology clog, engineered. even I mean, as you describe it. Yeah, I mean, it kind of was up until this new reincarnation, and they had a chance to redefine it i guess it's not necessarily working <laughs> i don't know I, i'm always hoping that at the end of a season we could look back and be like oh that's what happened but I there's mean, just no there's just no american example of this really something that has to keep going and going and going past its expiration date maybe simpsons but that the showrunners barely changed there uh whereas NCIS. the showrunners hands are very well see <laughs> Oh, yeah, no, NCIS Jag. What yeah. I bring back? This Jag is why we should bring the X Files back. Yeah, Just but with like different agents. Even that, you know, goes for eleven seasons or whatever. But that's still one voice. By having multiple people, multiple people step in, like you're saying, oh, maybe they'll bring in a new showrunner and we'll change again for the better. But can it, like, that it's continued on this path since 2005 with Chris Eccleston? You know, can it? It needs to die, right? It needs to regenerate itself in some way. Maybe, and it, and a new showrunner can't really change it because it's still building off the last thing. I mean, possibly, but I don't think if it does go away, it'll be gone for long. It's sort of like Twinkies. It's like it's too valuable of a property at this point to just stop making Twinkies. Even if Twi- if Hostess go, you know, goes bankrupt and doesn't want to make Twinkies anymore, someone's going to buy out the rights to make Twinkies. So, so Twinkies and Doctor Who are too big to fail, is what you're saying. Lots of things are too big to fail, Joanna. <laughs> Maybe all of TV is too big to fail.
said the moon was ours. Yeah, he said the moon was ours. To hell with the day. The sunlight is only gonna take love away. Brings up suspicion. So next Friday, the good lie is going to get go into limited release and then start rolling out, I believe. It is a movie that you would think from the poster was a Reese Witherspoon movie. But it's more a movie about the Sudanese refugees called the Lost Boys that also stars Reese Witherspoon. Uh, it's a based on a true story of um, thousands of kids who were uh, their parents were and uh, villages were victims of a Sudanese civil war in the late 80s. Uh, they were forced to sort of walk around Africa until eventually... Uh, fleeing soldiers until eventually they ended up in a refugee camp in Kenya, hundreds of thousands of them. Uh, the U.S. started a program to import them in the late 1990s, uh, but was it was halted in 2001 uh, because of, obviously, September 11th, and Sudanese, Sudan has was a country that had terrorist alerts on it, so it's very hard to transfer people with visas and whatnot. We stopped the Lost Boys program that would import people. This movie tells the story of four of them who make it to Kansas City, Missouri, where Reese Witherspoon gets them jobs. But unlike something like The Blind Side, Side, which is what this trailer sort of looks like, uh, the movie actually has very little Reese Witherspoon in it. And it's refreshing. I would describe it as a good movie because it's going to be one of those movies that's like best shown to high school students to educate them about the Sudanese uh, refugees because it tells a very honest story and doesn't stop to have Hollywood beats where you would expect them like when Reese Witherspoon shows up 40 minutes into the movie and you see that you know she's a powerful single woman but she's sort of a mess in her home life and maybe these characters could like teach her how to love the movie doesn't go in that direction and instead sort of recommits to the uh, four Sudanese leads and, uh, this is course, not Cool Runnings 2, like I hoped it would be. This is not Cool Runnings 2. <laughs> Although, I guess it has... With Reese Witherspoon and the John Candy role? Yeah. Yes, exactly. That's what the trailer made it look like, honestly. That's a good point. But uh, it's it's not that. It's actually this very nice and fact-based uh, portrayal of the screenwriter traveled around and talked to all these Sudanese lost boys and sort of averaged out a whole bunch of their stories to make this narrative. And it ends with the revelation that the four stars were either refugees or the children of refugees. And this movie uh, also has a fund that goes along with it, the Good Life Fund, to try to help to get more people out of that refugee camp in Kenya. So it's interesting because... I'm not sure how one goes about recommending a movie like this. It's education about a real-world issue, but it's something that you might already be educated about. Uh, Joanna, I know, has read the Dave Eggers book about it. I know that uh, Boulder, Colorado hosted three Sudanese Lost Boys, um, and we hosted them for Thanksgiving once, so I remember meeting them and sort of learning their story at that point. Uh I don't know. Have you guys 
how how do you guys recommend movies that are probably good for people but may not be like the <laughs> Reese Witherspoon movie they're expecting? Well, first off, I want to know if any Dave Eggers book can truly be educational. <laughs> Joanna? <laughs> Way harsh tie. Did you guys uh, ever see <laughs> Zaytoon starring uh, uh, Stephen Dorff? That I, don't I know. didn't. Yeah. Wait, what is that? I actually didn't know they film? made a movie of Zaytoon. They, they, how could they ever make it? It's like Lolita. How could they ever make a movie of Zaytoon? <laughs> uh, they did. I, I was in London in, I think, at the end of 2012, and it was out there, and then it came out here on, like, a screen a year later. Wow. So uh, I no that idea. was not really much of a vote of confidence. I never saw it. I liked that book. Uh, I like Dave Eggers, his, like, fic- ficto-facto blend thing that he does. Um, no, I mean, like, I don't love it. A lot of people do it better than he does, but... And... I think there's been a lot of controversy about how accurate some of his reporting is. So I don't claim to be an expert on the Sudanese Lost Boys because of what is the what. But I have met Al Valentino Deng, who is the like subject of what is the what. And so hearing him speak was a lot more educational. You've met him? Where did you meet him? Wait, wait, I not, it's like did, Tinder. It's Tinder, right? Did, <laughs> <laughs> there's a Sudanese Lost Boys of Sudan a dating network. It's called The Good Lay. Swipe? And, yes. Um, <laughs> Um, you know, so I'd much rather hear it from him than from Dave Eggers or, you know, I'm, I'm glad to hear that it's not the blind side to point out that, that it's not their story filtered through Reese Witherspoon's character. So at least that's kind of comforting. Um, because I think that's so often the case. I didn't change his life. He changed (laughs) mine. (laughs) Now you swap they in for he. Nominated for best picture. (laughs) <laughs> one best actress Jesus one. fucking Christ <laughs> one. unfortunately I don't know if the good lie is Tim on McGraw many... was in that movie <laughs> I don't know if it's on many radars right now it's barely yeah, opening the... it seems very small and it seems to be overshadowed by Reese Witherspoon's Wild which is her wait when is it coming out it's coming Next Friday. Week. It's, oh, it's, it's week. going up against Annabelle in limited release. What is Annabelle? And, and Gone Girl. <laughs> I think I know what Annabelle is, but why? Oh, yeah, yeah, it's good. It's, if, <laughs> why Annabelle? It, if anything, it's counter-programming to the horror slate that's coming. But I don't know. I don't see it like playing really well in November or anything. I really think it's one of those things that's going to have legs because of the consequences it's trying the real world consequences it's trying to enact if that sort of thing could have theatrical legs i'm not sure but Probably it sounds like you don't even think it should films what i mean i don't know Doesn't... i don't i don't know what people want i i thought this movie's been <laughs> fine uh, this year's movies have been fine but you know apparently it's the worst year since forever according to all the old critics well wait till the good lie bombs but where would you watch it so you, that's what you were talking about you you can't recommend it as a film watch. it seems like no, no, I think I can. Um, it's good for a lot of reasons that uh, you're expecting it to be bad, which is something I would definitely recommend. I think it's just a difficult subject matter to recommend. I think we're not quite in prestige movie season yet. It's a weird season to have this transitional of a movie, and I think people, when they do stumble across it, are going to enjoy it. I'm just not sure if it's something that gets people to go find it. Can you find The Good Lie next Friday? That might be the question. They call me Deadpool, I'm hella fat.
David, you wanna you wanna set off the Deadpool segment? I think you might nah. want to. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, do I it. did not yes, expect him to accept that. <laughs> I know. Challenge right. accepted. So Deadpool, which is um I think it's a, a guy. I, I please please I summarize the character Deadpool in his history <laughs> and what he's all about for us. I know Deadpool was the really mm-hmm. unremarkable person that Ryan Reynolds played at the end of the even more unremarkable X-Men spinoff movie. And he was created by a guy who I know from Twitter named Rob Leefield. And he is a human he is like probably an anti-hero. I feel like he mm-hmm. wears dark colors sometimes, mm-hmm. and maybe pretty much w- all the time, same outfit every. Like I want to say, do we think he's dead? That's not like, exactly. I want to say black, but I think it's like a purple, like a dark purple. Does he live? How does the red? pool come into play? Like, what does the pool have to do? Oh, with so it? he, I think he was. It was inspired by the band. Drowning pool, <laughs> and then when the lead singer died, Rob Leefield was like Deadpool. <laughs> That's the name. <laughs> uh-huh. Is this is, is that right? I mean, <laughs> you are pretty accurate Nailed up it. until the drowning. <laughs> so Nailed you don't it. know unless it preceded the death of the guy from most, Drowning Pool. Most definitely. But, but don't don't forget, David. What is Deadpool's nickname? He has a nickname. Daddy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't I don't know but apparently they've been try- I do know they've been trying to make a movie about this person for years and finally it looks like it's gonna happen because why would you say no to a movie about a comic book character although I my from what I gather about the segment to come we're gonna be giving a lot of credit to a web movement but I think it's definitely lubricated by the idea that uh, pretty much anyone in spandex gets a movie now. But uh, tell what is a Deadpool? Someone enlighten me. Yeah, what is his nickname? Dave? I don't know. Oh, his nickname is Merc with a mouth because unlike <laughs> unlike the Daddy uh, is better. The yeah, Wolverine. don't you think it should be Daddy <laughs> for now? <laughs> Daddy. No, he's a he's a talk. He's a very talkative, uh, wry character. He's very Ryan that- Reynolds like. Which uh, yeah. is good, but because he didn't Ryan Reynolds... talk in in the yeah. X-Men he didn't have a movie. mouth. His mouth got why sewn didn't he together. Have a mouth? Well, that's yeah, why everyone hates Wolverine like Origins. So why would they take a character known for me talking? <laughs> not give him a mouth. I like how David's happing across why X Men Origins Wolverine <laughs> right. is bad right now. I, he, ha- I, he hated X Men Origins Wolverine the first time, but now that hate is growing. Valid broader reasons why X Men Wolverine, whatever the fuck, is bad. The also, Emma Frost continuity. Have been talking about this podcast, and yeah. now in the middle of a segment, I think I can drop it in without it being cut out. That I, I genuinely believe the new X Men movie is the worst thing I've seen this year. But that's we'll talk about this later. Gloss so, over that wait, fact. We refer I, everyone to our review, our praise-filled review. Uh, can I give my, my feedback? Oh, wow! Whoa! Okay. Well, yeah. I'm Joanne, gonna give my feedback. If you, you want to the... talk about what the actual story of this segment is before you give your feedback, that also <laughs> uh, be welcome. Okay, uh, so a couple months ago, what, two months ago, last month? I don't know, time is a flat circle. A while ago, um, yeah. Um, a quote-unquote leaked poppycock, but a quote-unquote leaked footage of, you know, sample footage of Ryan Reynolds' voice over this uh, test footage of an CG, for the most part, Deadpool sort of getting into scrap in a car chase 
was posted on Reddit. It went viral and everyone, everyone, most people responded positively to it. And so as a result of that upward momentum, it was, um, I suspect that leaked is a bullshit term and they were just going to see if this, this would fly. Well, I think it was certainly, it was created by this studio blur i believe dave am i correct right. there i think you're right yeah. and but it's and, not like yeah, someone clearly stole want, that footage yeah. to put it up they leaked uh, it because they want they the leaked it because they wanted people to love it so that they right. could get their movie made Absolutely. and that's what happened they're making this movie um i am one of the very few people who did not like that leaked footage actually uh, i have no strong feelings about deadpool either way but that footage to me seemed like jim carries the mask and I don't know that I really want a movie. You don't like Jim that's, Carrey's The Mask? That's not a reference that's that far off in terms of the translation from the comic book character to what people are fearing from a Deadpool movie, which is like a softened version. But I don't know. I, I get what you're saying about the cartoonishness of it. The interesting thing about Deadpool as a character is he's a comic book character that's known for also breaking the fourth wall. So he's always known he's in a comic book. He's also schizophrenic, so he has voice bubbles or thought bubbles that could have dialogues with each other. And in the case of the Deadpool video game, he knows he's in a video game. And in the case of the last draft of the Deadpool movie script I got my chance to read, he knew he was in a movie. So it's going to be this weird sort of tonally lighter than the X-Men sort of the mass comic booky thing sounds but unfilmable deadpool being a mercenary slash jokester yeah these movies aren't that fun that's not possible right well i mean, I mean if we're being honest i don't know i they probably changed the script a whole bunch of times but to give a taste about what they're talking about he meets like cyclops from the x-men at some point and tries to punch him when he's in metal form and deadpool has a healing factor like wolverine Wait, who's in who's in metal form what? Uh, sorry, not Cyclops. Uh, oh, Colossus? Colossus. Colossus. Oh, my Thank God. They both Get out of here. My mind. Yeah, you oh. just got out-nerded by Patches and Joanna. Egregious. I did. Well, I was also trying to, to explain a lot of things. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Anyway, Deadpool also has a healing factor like Wolverine, so he's punching Colossus in his steel form and just breaks his ribs and ankles and uh, wrists against this steel form until he's just flopping around and... <laughs> swinging limp meat arms at this uh, mutant who's not really fighting back. So it's like, can that work with a motion-captured Ryan Reynolds? I'd like to at least see them try. I'd like to see them try much more than I'd like to see another Wolverine film at this point. It's funny because we... I feel like we all should get one shot at being a superhero unless we're you Chris better Evans. Lose and, <laughs> and Ryan Reynolds had his. No, well... I'm I'm a Ryan Reynolds defender, okay? I know, and in you the like future, Green Lantern. Here we go. We'll get one shot to be a superhero. <laughs> this is Patches's shot to be the defender of the Green Lantern. But there's a few problems here. I feel like Deadpool, what's interesting about this character and how it kind of reflects the business is that they were trying to make this movie, as David kind of mentioned in his intro, um, that they've been trying to make this movie before X-Men Origins Wolverine. This has been one of like the longest superhero projects in development since this whole kind of uprising of these of this genre of this uh, movement began, right? And um, in the last decade, when they've been trying to make this movie, times have changed dramatically. It's hard to believe, uh, but I don't think a slapsticky 
a, a sharp-witted superhero is something that would really either play today or feel fresh. Certainly not the slapstick part. We don't have room in our comedy what about for like Guardians silly characters. Galaxy. I don't think Guardians of the Galaxy is that slapsticky. It's like slapstick. It's bouncy it's dialogue, great. but it still has the action is still kind of rudimentary. It is still of the Marvel brand, right? You can't have it. You can't have the mask again, right? Well, we don't, don't really make we... Jim Carrey movies anymore. I don't want the mask again. I know you don't, don't want, want the mask, the mask again, the but I would time. want the mask again. The mask again sounds fun, like a living cartoon. As actually long as it's sounds called really the mask again. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, the mask, uh, the comic book character, used to be super violent, like, yeah, dead, Deadpool is. But I think the thing is, like, with Zack's, with what Zack Snyder is unleashing upon the world in his DC universe, I think it is time for the mask again. Like, if you have a whole... It's not a matter of, is it time for? I completely agree that this would feel really fresh, but let's talk about comedy and let's talk about action here for a second. And do well, you see any movie being able to waver from that line, from the well, kind of... I, uh, I mean, Deadpool, Deadpool is a good character to give a role on. And like Joanna was saying, you know, it's covered like you might have been saying, whoever's saying they want the work a and somebody's, you know, testing out the waters because they put it in February 2016. And then on the same day, sort of like shuffled Assassin's Creed off the release schedule, because God knows when Michael Fassbender is going to have time to do that and pushed Fantastic Four back. So it's going to get a run in another Comic-Con to promote itself rather than just sort of suddenly being out. Um, so, I mean, there's, it's sort of like got shuffled into the superhero schedule, and it's an interesting choice, but it's a choice that the internet sort of called for like they do. And I don't know. Fox is definitely the sort of studio that would chase that, in my mind. Maybe. But... Right, and, but, and this is an experiment, and... You know, we're going to see whether or not, you know, retweets and Facebook likes translates to box office success. But do you I'm, think it no is an experiment? That... Do you think that this is not, okay, well, we gained some buzz off Twitter and now we're going to make this, Wait, but this product isn't this again? this like Tusk all over again? Like, didn't well, we it's just not... see how badly that works out? But the Don't difference we is see the... how badly that works out? The difference yeah. is Tusk is idiosyncratic. It is Kevin Smith's movie. It's very strange. It's extremely fan servicey in the way that it is based off the podcast it's based off all these improvs they did deadpool to me doesn't seem like it will be a small like high violence super comic movie it's it's going to become just like an x-men movie in some ways it can't be tusk for the superhero genre i don't really see fox kind of taking a chance in that way, and I especially don't think that they'll go for, like, well, Dave, this is a question for you. Why does everyone think Deadpool should be an R-rated movie? And then a question for everybody is, will we ever see an R-rated blockbuster really again? I mean, is The Matrix the only one that's really hit big in the last, yeah. who can remember? I mean, do they make R-rated movies uh, on that scale anymore? I, I'm, I should I mean, look this up. I don't think Deadpool should be an R-rated movie. I think Deadpool could be a PG-13 movie fine because, like I'm saying, you have that metatextual aspect to it. So, like, it might be one of those situations like South Park where, like, the bleeps are kind of funnier at that point. Um, and you could definitely play it that way. I, I mean, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's weird in the sense that I, I think it could be a small, niche enough movie to you know, come out in February for a tiny audience, 
that just needs to see it. And if it doesn't do well financially, they could say, well, this is why you tiny audience internet people don't get another shot for three years. And if it does well, they just fold him right back into the X-Men universe and it's <laughs> Deadpool for forever. Wait, so, so they don't even make another one that but is But do they like CG him in? Is he going to be CG in the in the feature film link? I mean, it looks like they're going to go with the... Why? like the test footage so it'd be motion capture ryan reynolds wait so you're gonna have like jennifer lawrence and michael fassbender and then like mocap ryan reynolds well a, if they fold him back in we'll see how long uh, i mean we're talking years and years down that's the true line. they'll they'll, they'll have wriggled out of their contracts by then yeah. um i will say this you know just to clarify i also like ryan reynolds a lot I like him very much. I don't know why he hasn't found the thing that works for him at the box office. I think he's very funny and very charming. I don't know why he's not a big Hey, I thought he was okay in Green star. Lantern, as people know. He's great in the X-Files. Um, he's he brilliant in The Proposal. <laughs> if we're going to talk about Sandra Bullock movie. He was a uh, jock in or this the proposition? episode I don't where, know where the planets align and two high school girls get the uh, like cosmic telekinetic powers. Good lord. <laughs> And let's not forget two guys, a girl, and a pizza place. So, uh, David Ehrlich, are you still with us? Yeah, vaguely. <laughs> He's getting excited for Deadpool over there. Uh, yeah, I was very excited. What what color is De- Deadpool's costume, David? It's like a reddish, I guess. Y- yes, yes. He can be taught. Reddish. Well, that about wraps things up on this week's Fighting in the War Room. We'll be back later. I think we're going to review the box trolls. Ooh. I've seen the box trolls. David's seen the box trolls. Dave and uh, Joanna, box trolls? I'll try. <laughs> Probably not. That's the spirit. That's the spirit. Well, some of us will be talking about the box trolls later. Um, in the meantime, why don't we tell people who we are and where they can find us? Uh, I'm Dave Gonzalez. You can find me on Twitter at EA7E and online at I Love Dave Gonzalez, D A V E G O N Z A L E S dot com where my writings are. You can also find us on the online space at fightinginthewarroom.com. That website has all our back episodes and happy 10th anniversary Lost, our crazy Lost project from this March at fightinginthewarroom.com slash lostpillar. Go check out at least some back episodes. Right now, fightinginthewarroom.com. Don't do it. It's a trap. Uh, I'm David Ehrlich. I'm the editor at large of the White Life magazine. I also write for Dissolve Complex AV Club. You can find me on Twitter at David Ehrlich. And at Criterion Corner, you can find all of us sometimes on Facebook at Fighting in the War Room. My name is Joanna Robinson. You can find me most days on VanityFair.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe Wrote This. I also do a podcast called The Station Agents. And we will be back with the Legends of Korra podcast, uh, Republic City Dispatch, starting next week, I believe. Uh, In the meantime, if you want to give us a holla, you can call 914-410-6450. 
And I am Matt Patches. I write all over the place and try and put everything on mattpatches.com. And I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches. And as Joanna mentioned, yes, our other podcast, Republic City Dispatch, it's coming back already. It's very strange because um, TV doesn't work that way, but it does in this case. And then uh, remember, you can find Fighting in the War Room on Twitter at uh, F-I-T-W-R, FITWR. And there you can answer this week's lightning round question, which is, Dave? In honor of the box trolls, what animated or puppet society would you most like to join? That's it for this week. We'll be back next time.